What's up, disciples? It is the Red Letter Disciple, and we're back for another episode. Today's episode is going to be awesome. We're going to be joined in a moment by Chris Johnson, my co-host. And our mission at this podcast is that it would challenge you to be a greater disciple of Jesus wherever you are. And today's episode is going to do that. Uh, I'm really excited today to talk to a friend of mine, Mel Gravely, who wrote a book called Dear White Friend that I really think is one of the greatest books uh, when it comes to fighting against racism that I've read. And here's here's what I love about it particularly. You're going to hear this in the conversation. Mel has a, a really cool temperature that he brings to this hot button issue that I think at the end of it is, is going to challenge us all to think about what is my role in this and, and what kind of questions can I seek to dive deeper into this. We're not only going to talk about fighting against racism, we're going to have some good conversation about the the least formal dressed city in America. And also, what is an A5 Wagyu steak? Does it really taste all that much better? Mel and I had a chance to share an A5 Wagyu steak once and... uh, yeah, we're just going to share that with you. You, you got to know. So it's going to be really fun. We're, we're going to have a great time today. So I want to thank today's sponsor. It is Red Letter Living. We're a company that produces and creates resources. This podcast is one of them that challenge everybody to be a greater follower of Jesus. And so we've got many resources. And one of our most famous popular resources is our 40-day challenges. And church leaders and pastors, if you've never done a 40-day challenge, do one with us. It's a 40-day disciple, Jesus-centered discipleship experience tailor-made for your church. We've got everything that you need. We've got books for individuals, small group materials for small group leaders and those in small groups. We've got kids' curriculum. We've got sermons for the pastor. We've got graphics and communication things every day. Seriously, churches that have used our 40-day challenges, they've grown their small groups by more than 40%. They brought unity in really divided times. Plus, not going to lie, one of the things that pastors and church leaders really love is that it it creates a turnkey resource that you can use for six weeks. So you don't have to creatively come up with anything from scratch for a 40 day period. So we got multiple 40 day challenges. You can check them out at redletterchallenge.com slash join. And the best news fall is right around the corner. And so you can lock it in now for a great 40 day fall series where you're going to see these incredible results at your church. And pastors, if you've never seen a copy or gotten a copy of one of our 40-day challenges, we suggest starting with Red Letter Challenge and you can get a free copy on us. Just email our team at hello at redletterchallenge.com and we'll get you hooked up. So let's grow some great Jesus followers together. Speaking of which, let's do that in the podcast. Here's our episode with author and businessman Mel Gravely. Let's do this. Welcome back to Red Letter Disciple. This is going to be a really important conversation. I'm pretty pumped about it. We got Mel Gravely coming onto the show today. Would you say this is the most important conversation we've ever had? It's up there, my man. It's up there. Mel is the majority owner and CEO of a commercial construction company in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, he has been a consistent member of the Deloitte 100 list of the largest privately owned companies. Dude is super active in the community with Mm. the United Way, Cincinnati Regional Chamber of Commerce, Cincinnati Regional... Economic Development Initiative, Vice Chairperson of ArtsWave. I mean, you look at all these, it's incredible. Mm. Where I ran into Mel was actually through a mutual friend, uh, through one of his books entitled Dear White Friend, The Realities of Race, The Power of Relationships, and Our Path to Equity. So we're going to have a great conversation around this. Mel Gravely, welcome to the Red Letter hey, Disciple. It's How are we doing today? You know, I circled this day on my calendar yeah. so long ago. Yeah. I am so fired up. I, I, I hope I can get through this without just... <laughs> Bloating because I'm pretty pumped up. Then you gave that 
very, you know, concise and deliberate introduction. Like I'm, I'm just ready to go. Chris, I, the, the jacket's got me going. I mean, I, Thank what, you. what could be better right now? Thank you. Well, Mel, I know that you are uh, really intentional about the way you dress and you actually dress down for this. I remember actually when you came to Omaha, mm. you said, I don't know if you remember this, but you mm. said Omaha may be the least casually dressed city that you've ever been to. Wait, so least? Most casually dressed. Most casually dressed. Yeah, yeah. Most yeah, casually. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, so tell me, what is the least casually dressed? Like, they're real formal. Like, where are you going and, like, everybody's just oh, I well, know. rocking. Literally, anywhere I go is more formal than what I experience in Omaha. <laughs> like, like, I've been to a lot of places, and, you know, I mean, I couldn't find a blazer in a couple of the audiences. I'm like, nobody has a blazer in this town. I don't understand. No. What it's, do you think? Yeah, why do you think that is? After I love your assessment. Look around. I'm from, I'm from Ohio. I don't I don't know. You tell me why. I, we don't maybe maybe it's I, I tell you what though, I'm also convinced that it was the most friendly place mm. um, that I'd ever uh, you know it is friendly. It, it is friendly and, and consistently so, right? Yeah. Just really, really um welcoming and uh embracing and so maybe that's maybe that makes you more casual maybe that's the place where we meet they didn't they they didn't talk about me because i wasn't casual but right. but today i took off my blazer yeah, yeah. So you're gonna be podcasting to omaha you know <laughs> i cannot be on this thing with a blazer on Zach, zach's well, gonna have on a t-shirt right yeah. i think we figured it out then like the greatest whoa, disciples whoa. are the ones that are the least casual, that if you're wearing suits, you're stuffy, you're formal, you're just not friendly. This is funny because we've recorded like nine episodes of this so far, and Zach wore like a beat up T-shirt every <laughs> other ridiculous. episode. He dressed up for me. He did. This is the first time buttons. I got, think. In, dude, it's got buttons. This is the first time in four seasons he's wore buttons yeah, and a collar. collar. Like, I would say, you know what? I know you didn't ask me, and I'm sorry, but I think Washington, D.C. is probably the most formal place that I've ever been. Uh, because, like, even the interns are running around with, like, you know, three-piece sure. suits on and stuff. That's true. Probably the least friendliest city I've been to, <laughs> Could too. Could be also. Could so, be also. I think we just had a, a little epiphany there. I don't know if there's, there's, there's correlation. I don't know if there's causation. So we'll have to study it more deeply. Do you guys want to do a three-way book? Like we could partner <laughs> up? We could do that. We should. Dear casual friend. <laughs> dear formal dear, friend. Dear I don't formal know. friend. <laughs> I love it. All right. I'll go uh, work on the book contract. I'll see you guys. <laughs> Chris, thanks, man. Great contribution today. All right. I got one more fun question before. Well, I think they're all fun, but we're going to dive into some. So when you were here in Omaha, we had the chance, Mel, for a first for each of us. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this. Mm. It was an incredible dinner that we got to be invited to. And it was the first time so that jealous. I had ever had a bite. And mm. it was like maybe two bites total because we split it up pretty good. Right. Of A5 mm. Wagyu steak. Yeah, and so I this. want you to tell the people, is there a difference? Because it's always like <laughs> regular steaks, what, 30, 40 bucks? And yeah. oh, A5 like crazy in the triple digits. Yeah. So is there a difference between A5 Wagyu and the regular steak that you're going to get from That's a like restaurant? saying, is there a difference between Ruth Chris and Burger King? Go ahead. Actually, it's worse than that. Uh, it's wider up. I've never put a piece of beef in my mouth. Mm. That melted like that beef. Like I, I could barely recognize it as beef. It was so <laughs> tender. So the answer is yes. There's a difference. I didn't even know that existed until yeah, that day. Did I. And yeah. I was, 
I was a little bit skeptical. I'm like, come on, right. guys, yeah. why are you charging me? So, but then after I tasted, it, I was like, oh, okay, I can. I'm not sure I can eat a whole piece of it though. But you know, first of all, the price I, I couldn't right. justify my right. stomach digesting it alone. But secondly, <laughs> I think it's so rich, yeah. and I'm not sure a whole, you know, 16 ounces of that might have been too much, Dak. What do you I've think? I've always wanted to try I that. I totally I'm so agree. Jealous. It was like I, I was always skeptical. Like, come on, five, six times the price. What, what's going on? Right. Yeah. And I have to say, it it is different. And it's it's really. Do you good. know the Do you know the backstory with Wagyu though? They like they massage the cows every day. They feed him like the best grains. I'm not kidding. They feed him beer every day. Like oh, wow. Yeah, you can look into this. I have researched it. Like a lifestyle that I can I can embrace. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I right. These cows have it better than us. That's all I'm saying. Uh, you know what, Zach? Uh, kind of. But then they die, though, Chris. I'm yeah. not sure I want to pay that payoff. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't want the end result. Okay. I don't want to be eaten. <laughs> right. I don't want Zach and you sitting around saying, "Man, that Chris steak was amazing." <laughs> uh, so, okay, one last thing. I. I've been staying the last two nights with Zach. Um, but he flies me into Omaha, and uh, it's it's a lovely. His wife, is, gift of hospitality, they're amazing. Last sure, I'm night, curious where this is going. I know. <laughs> How old are you, Mel? I just oh wow, you. I'm 58. Okay, 58. All right, I'm turning 50 uh, this year. My good friend Zach is turning 40 this year, and I can already see, like the his his age is affecting him oh, right wow. now. So last night. He wants to, his boys come downstairs. He's got a few TVs on the wall and he wants to watch Survivor with the boys, but he also wants to watch the NBA playoff game. Right. And so he's trying to fire. He's got 47 remotes and he cannot figure out like which of the 47 remotes turns on each of the TV. And now he's visibly frustrated. Right. It, and I'm just sitting back watching the whole thing. And now he's got one TV on Survivor with no sound, two are blank. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Like, this is first world problems, right? <laughs> we get in today, and uh, he's panicking. He cannot figure out his iPad. Uh, like, it keeps going dark. He's super frustrated. And he comes on. He's like, hey, everybody, welcome to Red Letter. Nobody has seen the visible frustration this man has gone through the last 12 hours. My question to you, Mel, what kind of advice do you have to Zach? Because he's clearly not aging well. Yeah. Because he's fighting it, Chris. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. resisting the reality of his right. age. Right. And, you know, once you cross 40, you need to embrace a few realities. Let me show you one real quick. Please, please. Just print out their stuff. Yes. Like, don't 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 try to read it from your phone like the kids do or from your yeah. iPad. Just yeah. just hit the print key. Yeah. I know we're killing trees. I'm going to recycle this when I'm done. <laughs> but my stuff's right here. Right. Mm. You've got it all printed out. He's got to embrace it. What is a TV technology? Just call your kid and say, let me tell you what I need. And the kids will put it up there for you. Just give wow. in to the reality. And, you know, he's been disgruntled because his MySpace page isn't have as many followers lately. <laughs> that was a low blow. <laughs> Can't figure it out. Like, he's what like, happened? what's my MySpace login, kids? Well, well thanks. Well, he's, he, he emailed me from AOL, too. So <laughs> You've got mail, Zach. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know how I like All right. That I wasn't like in the script, but going, thank you but, for you the know, advice. Whatever. All right, Mel. Hey, man. you So you have an incredible business career and 
successful story there. So I want to know, like, Zach's next book is Dear Younger Friend. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace it. Game. Embrace it. <laughs> Just go with it. Yeah. I want to know, though, what led you in the middle of a successful business career to write a book about racism. That doesn't feel like right. something yeah. most people would do. Yeah. So, yeah. so talk to me about it. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for pointing that out. And, and I, in hindsight, I'm not so sure that I was as thoughtful about this as I could have been. But, but remember what was going on in late 19 and, and 2020. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll make the long story shorter. What finally told me that there was there was a lane to be filled by my voice was when I listened to my friends on either side of issues talk at each other and not with each other. It just struck me as, man, if my friends could understand each other, if we could could not water down, but cool down the conversation to, to really dialogue about this topic in a real authentic way, yeah. that maybe we could actually make progress hmm. on closing the gaps between blacks and whites. And so as a business leader, I have a lot of white friends who are business leaders. I've spent, as I say, when I kiss, after I kiss my wife and I leave, leave home, 98% of the people I talk to after that are white. And uh, so I've got deep, good relationships. I travel with these folks. We, we, we go to war together in the community to solve big problems. And, and we've built a real trust. And I wanted to make sure that I could talk to them authentically. And so that was um, because I think if I thought if they knew better, they might do better. And I just really thought that they did. No one had talked to them about this topic. That's what finally pushed me over. There were a number of incidents that were going on in the community. I think COVID played a role in this because I had this I had time to focus on this. So there's a lot of other ancillary things. But at the end of the day, what I was trying to accomplish is I wanted to have a better conversation about race. Yeah, it's good. And that's what I think I truly appreciated about your book. And then obviously meeting you and hearing you speak and, and, and getting to know, know you a little bit more is I just feel like you bring a such a, a cool, um, and I use that in the sense of the word, uh, the right word temperature to this hot button issue yeah. and and because yeah lots of things are going on but uh your your voice in this is i think a really unifying voice and a voice that that does a very good job of bringing uh two different races black and blacks yeah. and whites together to have some important conversations without you know those trigger words or those things that just automatically jump into and so actually the book is entitled dear white friend and it, it, it's it's cool because it's kind of composed with like 19 19 letters that you've written to your friend, like dear friend. And there's, so there's 19 letters. So why, yeah. Why did you write it in you're, a form of letters? You're like the apostle Paul. You just write letters, <laughs> write letters, letters. Yeah. to the churches. People are going to be reading this 2000 years from now being like, man, that Mel, <laughs> you know what? I've been called a lot of things. Apostle Paul. That's a new one. That's <laughs> it, man. Wait till I get home and tell my wife. The, 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 the racial <laughs> rival for, uh, come on. I got this idea of writing letters from a book I read before my wife and I took a trip to Israel. It was, a, a, and I've forgotten the author's name, but the title is Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor. Oh, wow. And a, a, a rabbi, was a Jewish rabbi was talking, wrote these letters to his Palestinian neighbor, metaphorical Palestinian neighbor, explaining how he felt about their relationship and how and the empathy he was showing to his Palestinian neighbor 
but still disagreeing with the Palestinian neighbor on, on many, many crucial things. And it was the tone that and the love and the appreciation for the other person hmm. that struck me. And and uh, and so that was the model in my mind. Now, I read that book a number of years ago, but um, but it, it fit what I was trying to do. Remember, I was talking to my friends yeah. about a topic that we had not talked about before. So my friends <laughs> yeah. were all like, wow, I didn't know you felt this way because yeah. we didn't talk about race. So I had to have a I wanted to respect our relationship. Uh, and so that's why the letters just seem to make sense to me. So great. Now you're going to get sued by the uh, Israel guy who wrote <laughs> Dear Palestinian Friend. Oh, Excuse now. me. Well, you know, actually. I have a friend here in Cincinnati who actually knows him oh, and sent him a copy of the book and told him. So he was that's he was flattered by the, by the idea. That's great. That's cool. Yeah. And, and so, again, I love the temperature. And I think it starts with, like, you don't assume that all whites are racist, but rather you, you start with, hey, we're friends. Yeah. And so why, why would you start like we're friends? And, and I know that a, a piece of your story and your history um, kind of. Is, is a big piece of that because you, you've, you've got a lot of white friends. So maybe walk me through your history a little bit and why you approach it from that angle. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I think I'm uniquely qualified and I'm not the only person, but there are many, many um, African-Americans who've lived the life that I've lived. And, and, and it started with busing in my middle school years where, you know, I was put on a bus with, uh, you know, I don't know, 14, 14 or so other black students. And we were bused across town to the white middle school. And that began an indoctrination to how to be with white people. Uh, and through that um, indoctrination, as I like to call it, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but it's true. I mean, it was a new kind of engagement around culture. Um, I grew really strong white relationships all along my career. And then you, you, you fast forward through IBM and then in entrepreneurship and the community involvement. And so that connection, um, it just... Um, it is innate with my experience with this country. But along the way, I'm still having black experiences. Mm. So I can express these black experiences to my white friends in a way that uh, my white friends could never um, understand because they're not having those yeah. types of experiences. So, you know, I sit kind of in a privileged seat to be able to, to have one foot in both worlds. And by the way, and, and neither and not living in either one completely, which is also an interesting place to be. Um, but that gives me this opportunity to, to, to share um, uh, the perspectives that uh, my white friends may not have had an opportunity to know. So I got it. I got it. This I, your book is awesome. I am not a book guy. And Zach handed it to me a couple of nights ago. What kind of guy are you if you're not a book guy? Are you I'm like, like honestly, I listen to Audible. Like, that's how I consume my books um, because I, tr I drive around a lot. I throw on Audible. But I, he handed me this book and he handed me like six books. And I'm like, I'm not reading the other ones. But Is mine on top? No, it was like in the middle. And I it was super compelling. And then I was like two and a half chapters in and I'm falling asleep at 11 o'clock. It's so compelling. And it brought me back to a time. I wanted to share this with you. I yeah. grew up in a very small town in Southwest Iowa. It was a thousand people in my hometown. There was literally one Hispanic family, no black people, no, I mean, it was just 99% white, right? Yeah. So I go to the University of Iowa and honestly, there was more African-Americans there, but a, a lot of so my first year, they accidentally put me on the floor with all the athletes. I'm not, I'm five, eight, one sixty five. Like maybe I can hit a free throw occasionally, but like I'm surrounded now 
by African-American athletes who have scholarships, right? And one of my good friends, Dave, um, was on the track team. And he just like, we had a blast talking together. And eventually he says, I want you to go to a party with me uh, on Friday night. And we had been friends for months, you know, and I had not even thought about the racial side of it. Well, we ended up going to an African-American fraternity. Yeah. And I walk into the African-American fraternity and I'm the only white person in the entire room. And Dave's like, isn't this fun? (laughs) I had never. And for the first time in my life, like I felt what Dave felt. And we walked out of there and we had our first serious conversation about race. Yeah. And it wouldn't have happened. And he knew what he was doing. (laughs) And it was genius because and we're still friends to this day. But I had never been in that spot. And I think. We had talked with somebody yesterday where, um, remember, he was saying, uh, he was talking about uh, racial stuff. And he's like, a lot of times when uh, people come into white culture, we like to pour ranch dressing all (laughs) over them to make them more white. But then when we pour ranch dressing all over the salad, we can't get the individual flavors of the tomato. And I just thought that was such a good analogy to to it i don't know well you know and i i think those experiences are so helpful chris and think about this there's two dynamics this first it's very rare that that happens to people very very rare and i'm I'm blown away that they it just doesn't happen to be right because it seems like like throughout your life like that had to have happened once or twice but it just doesn't the second thing is even when it does there's usually two things that are going on that make it different for whites when they're in a black environment. Well, one, they're often sage on the stage. They're doing the presentation. They're talking. They're they're in control. <laughs> yeah. uh, or, or two, um, there is a known end time. Mm. So mm. I only got to be uncomfortable for so long. Right. <laughs> at eight thirty, this party's over. Or at eight thirty, this. Well, I was there until midnight. <laughs> yeah. So, so <laughs> you know, so it, it it's an experience enough to get drives up empathy. Yeah. It, it, you know, to me, this is, you know, Zach didn't ask this question because his iPad turned off and it turned black and he can't find the questions. But th- this idea, wow. though, of that you were in that environment and, and and I often ask this my black friends this question. They say, well, they, they should get this. And I say, well, where would they have gotten it? Where will our white friends have picked up how that feels? Where would they have learned the nuances of voting rights changes and the sensitivities around that, where would they have picked up redlining and all the historical thing? Like what would have made them learn that? We're not teaching it in schools. So where would they have learned it? So how can I hold you responsible for knowing it? If, if there's really no path now, some of my black friends say, well, they need to study it. And I think, well, okay, well, there's probably a bunch of stuff I need to study too. And I (laughs) I probably didn't because it doesn't, it doesn't impact my life. Mm. So these letters start with the this idea of my empathy for my white friends that i get why you don't get it you haven't been in it you haven't lived it we haven't taught it in schools we can't trust what we're hearing in the in the media and so i get why you don't get it but i also need you to i'm trusting you but you got to trust my story is authentic it's how i see it and i need you to come a little closer to say maybe what mel says is saying here has some validity and i hope my the temperature of it and the congeniality congeniality of how i'm uh, uh, trying to explain it helps with that uh, so how do how yeah. do you know not all of us have a friend named dave that pulls us into situations right how 
do we as uh, Caucasian leaders in the church, how do we try to not force it, but how do we try to have these situations with with them not coming off as inauthentic? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how, how, how can we put ourselves in those situations to learn more? Yeah. Well, so let's talk about whether we can learn more. Right. Um, There is so much out there now. There is no excuse for people who want to know not to know. There's just a bunch of stuff out there. Some of it, some of it great. Some of it's horrible, but but there's a lot out there. (laughs) As far as putting ourselves in these situations, I don't know if there's a I think authenticity and intentionality can be one and the same. So sometimes people say, oh, I want to do it. They, what they really want is they want to do it in an organic way. They want it yeah. to just happen. Right. And I don't think our nation was built for it to just happen. I, I think sometimes at some point it might just happen, but I think initially it's got to be intentional. It can still be authentic, Yeah. but it got it has to be intentional. Just a few ideas. So I've got a, a, a Jewish friend here who uh, one day we just said, we need to, we need to, you know, you find three white couples. I'll find three black couples that we all like. We're just going to have dinner together. We're not, there's no topic. We're just going to kick it. And when we sit at the table, no one's sitting next to their spouse. We're just all going to mix it all up. It was a blast. And those people then connected outside of that and so forth. So I think the intentionality has to be there, but it doesn't mean we can't be authentic at the same time. Does that, does that make sense? Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, what a great idea. It's, yeah, it's good. And I think like if it's coming from the right place, right. It, it doesn't mean that being authentic doesn't mean being a little weird and like, hey, I genuinely want to know. And like, yeah. I need someone in my life to help me see what you see so that yeah. my eyes can get a little less cloudy overall. And, and so it sometimes <laughs> that authenticity does start a little bit awkward or weird at times. Sure. That's okay. Yeah. Um, but well, but I also think there's a, yeah. and I write this in a book, and Zach, you know, you used to have control of this interview, but it's now, you uh, <laughs> taken off. Yeah. Yeah. Chris yeah. and I now have taken over. You're, you're free to go. You're, yes. I've done what I came to do. <laughs> but, but I, I think also there's this opportunity, uh, and I, I call for it in the book, um, for my white friends to make race a thing. The most powerful yeah. conversations that can be had are white people talking to white people without black people around. Mm reading together, questioning each other, challenging what we're seeing in the media together. I don't think you need black people in the room necessarily to raise your game, your empathy level, your understanding, your solution set, your all of those things. I don't think you need African-Americans because what's what's happening now is those few who are involved in your world are being over um, subscribed around this conversation. It's just getting old and tired and difficult. And and so you might get some negative reactions from people who just like, go solve this black thing for yourself, white people. You know, like we, we've been living this thing long enough. So just be careful about, because I I think those are some powerful conversations when eight white people get together and talk about race. I could, I can't be there obviously, because I would change the dynamic, but man, how powerful can that be? And Mel, it was actually a a white pastor friend of mine that got me into this thinking more because I think that's where I, I was. And I, I think I, I project that onto most people when I talk about it. And I don't want to project it if it's not there. But for me, there was an understanding that racism is going on and it's wrong. And it was a shallow understanding. And I think that's where I was. And I do feel like most white 
Americans, white Christians are at. It's like, yeah, of course it's wrong. And I don't like it. And I, but there's a deeper level that I think we're all invited into that, that until we step into that, we know it's wrong, but we maybe don't understand all the intricacies of it. Yeah. Our, our hearts aren't fully invested and our eyes aren't fully clear because we've only seen the experiences we've seen. And I haven't seen what you've seen and I haven't heard yeah. what you've heard. And until I get in those conversations and relationships, I, I, I'm not quite seeing it as clear. And so I think that's what your book does a just a fabulous job doing is bringing to light some issues and hopefully some some real things that have happened that you've experienced that you've seen uh, that also our nation and so one of the things you you say before you segue because i can see you looking at that screen trying to segue i just got to say i'm not sure i agree with you around uh the the uh christ-centered um christ leading uh uh, following uh, individuals i'm not as comfortable that they um uh, see racism as you described, even at yeah, a. At a not, I'm not sure. Well, I I I think that uh, we've gotten ourselves uh, in in between, right? And so we've got some political things we care about, and we're being drug a particular way about that. And I get it. Um, and this got drug along with it. That yeah. race got drug along with it. So are they against racism? Absolutely. I don't know anybody that's not against racism, but I think they think racism has passed us. Mm-hmm. And it's episodic, not systemic. And and um, there's no doubt there's a lot of things that are illegal now that used to be legal back in the day. Right. Lynching someone right now, at least, you know, in its own con- old context, probably something you shouldn't do. You probably don't go to jail for it. But I can give you some context where it's happened and people didn't go to jail. But 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 what we we still not grasp and acknowledged is there's this lingering gap that started with the enslaving of people perpetuated itself through time and we now think well it's all equal now so we should start and the truth is that's just not accurate we have a lingering tale of stuff that's created this gap not just gap in our 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 connection to one another but our 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 gap with between our connection with opportunity and our connection with health and wealth and so i don't think that my white christian friends are as engaged in understanding that perspective as they could be. And I think part of it is political. So I'm not as comfortable as you are um, with what they're feeling there. Yeah, and I think that's really fair. And I, I think that there, yeah, there's obviously spectrums in <laughs> in it and, and many people that, uh, you know, I think represent well and many that don't represent well. So yeah. that, that word uh, equal, you mentioned equal, but then there's another word equity, equality, right. equity. And I think they're, they're similar, but they're not the same. And I love the illustration you use in the book yeah. uh, about the board game Monopoly, uh, which yeah. most people can relate to knowing at least what Monopoly that board game is. Yeah. And so walk me through using that game as an example, like the difference between equality or equity or how, how you see that in our world. And also, would you consider yourself an, a Monopoly uh, pro? I would crush you in Monopoly. <laughs> Let's go. Crush you. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Good. Good. Runs good. a construction company. I mean, of course he would. Yeah. <laughs> I would dominate you in the ah, Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So I wish I would have made this analogy myself, but uh, there's a professor in North, uh, North Carolina who took her students through this lesson around Monopoly. And so imagine nine students um, that she got to volunteer for this and uh, they're all going to play Monopoly. And Monopoly is the, the equality game. It's not, you know, I mean, Everybody starts the same amount of money. Everyone gets one of those silly little pieces. Everyone gets $200 every time they pass. What Go. piece do you choose? What piece do you choose? 
I, I love the car. That's it. That's the right answer. Yeah. Okay. Go <laughs> ahead. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Car is the thimble's right okay too, because you well, know. Well, somebody, so takes, the, if somebody takes the car. I'm going horse than thimble probably. But go ahead. No right. boot. No, the boots for. Boots. You know, if somebody puts the boot, they're losing. They're like, come on, really? You're gonna choose an old shoe? All right. You guys should never do this on video. My horse will eat your shoe. Go ahead. So you know, she. So it, it is the inequality, the equality game. So here's what she did. She took nine students who volunteered. She let three of them start at the beginning of the game. And for 45 minutes, they played Monopoly, rolled the dice, they moved their piece around, they bought property if they had an opportunity to, maybe they put a house or two on it, mm -hmm. they played the game. Again, around the board, pass, go, get $200, buy property, spend the dice again, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then 45 minutes in, she let the second group start. Well, when the second group started, some of the property was already purchased. Wow. Some of them already had houses on it. And mm. so there was still some opportunity there, but they had to land on other people's property and pay rent. And uh. Uh, But, you know, they still got $200 every time they passed go. They started with the same amount of money. Now, the first group probably had created some wealth along the way. It had went around, go, you know, a few more times, collect a few more rounds of $200. They had bought some property and collected some rent. And so they were a little further ahead than the second group, but the second group still had some opportunities. 45 minutes later, that's an hour and a half from when the first group started. She starts the third group. When the third group starts, <laughs> it's like only railroads. Left. All the properties purchased. Right. Most of it is houses. Some of it even has the red hotels. Mm. Now, really, it's still equal because everyone got $200 when they passed go. All the people in that third group had the same amount of money to start with that the other group had. They followed the same rules. But the difference is when they went around the board, when they landed on property, instead of being able to buy it, they had the opportunity to pay rent to someone else. Yeah. And so that third group lost all motivation to play the game. They had no chance of, of winning at, at all. And the others, although the game was equal, the others had a had a had an equity that the third group just didn't have. They had built up some wealth, some credibility, some reputation, some relationships. So if I take that analogy out of Monopoly and I say, hey, 1960-whatever, when we passed the Civil Rights Bill, everything's equal. If I assume for a second that that's true, and it is far from true, <laughs> but if I accepted that was true, do we now just do away with all of the years before that? Mm, right. Do I simply say I'm starting now in the third round of the Monopoly game and everyone's equal when they're when we systematically kept some people out of the game, just like she did in her analogy. That's, so that's, the, a, the, the that's the, the greatest analogy I've ever heard in my it, life. It is. It, so when people get it. And so I hear people talking about, you know, it's all about equality. I'm an equality person. Everyone should be treated equally. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If the game were all starting today. If we threw all our chips in the middle, if we threw all our property in the middle, if we threw all of our relationships in the middle and I get to I get to compete for the for those now, I'm all for it. But since that's not true, we've got to have a, 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 a an equity framing that says, well, wait a minute. All the land was purchased. Mm. And by the way, who worked the land mm. and what was the labor costs? That built up. So so now the response I get is, well, you know, my, my family came from um, wherever they came from, right? They came from Spain. They came from Ireland. They came here with nothing. And I totally agree. And then America made them white. 
And when America made them white, they got access to things that African-Americans still didn't get access to. Mm-hmm. From suburban homes to GI Bill to so I've, I've gone on and on, Zach. I'm, I'm going to no, but so Mel, what what's the answer then? I yeah, mean, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad. Thank you know I know why he's here. Now I couldn't figure out why you had Chris here. I, I couldn't figure I, it out. I honestly can't either. If you found out the answer after forty ep- some episodes, please tell me what it is. He finally, ask a question worth asking. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I got to work on his dance moves, though. Those yeah, yeah, yeah. He really, yeah, I mean, that is his jack white dancer. Music. Yeah. <laughs> you look like you're on rhythm, though. I don't know what song you were playing. In your head. We all have an equal opportunity to dance well. I just put <laughs> you with Chris on dancing. Yeah. All right. No, seriously. What's the answer? Yeah. You've, you've stated the problem. And I've heard the answer in some cases be like, um, I, you've heard reparations. You've heard all these different things. Yeah. But honestly... Like yeah. we, it, it, we're never going to put all the property back in the middle, no, right? We're not. No, we're not. not. And by the way, we did talk about that though. When 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 slavery ended, there there was a a, a an approved proclamation that um, forty acres would be given, and forty acres was what it was thought to sustain a family would mm-hmm. be given to to formerly enslaved people, mm-hmm. and uh, and then Jackson became president, and that all got. Uh, reverse. Mm-hmm. So, so he, here's what I'm suggesting America do. Um, we have to be willing to have actions of equity, actions of intentionality to close the gap. What do I mean by that? I firmly believe that we've got to be intentional about including African Americans into colleges and universities. I, I don't, I don't back away at all of of having. Uh, a, a programmatic focus on a particular segment of people who have been historically left out. I just don't. And I get what people say. It's not fair to other people. I, I'm, I disagree. God didn't create our world so that white people could have 98% of all the good stuff in it. Mm. And today they do. Mm. They got 98% of the of the CEO jobs. They got, I mean, let's just go down the list of, of land ownership. And so when people say it's not fair to others, it, it was it was never fair. No, no one was fighting when it wasn't fair for African-Americans. So you're asking me how I close the gap. I get intentional about certain things around education, um, job opportunities, business growth and development. I write a chapter about that. And yes, I have a letter in there that says we ought to study reparations. And I was for my whole life against reparations. I think repar- I used to think reparations was a just a stupid idea. You know, the truth is, is I didn't think my white friends would ever go for it. That's why I was against it. I don't know how you can study that topic and think about how we built our nation and not come to some conclusion to say, huh, we owe somebody something. <laughs> right. Right. Now, you may not like how we distribute it. I think we should fight about how we distribute. But I, I can't see how anybody logically says how we built our nation and look at the free labor and the exploitation on property ownership through through redlining and things. I don't know how you get done and think 
Yeah. And that's okay. Let's just start all over right now. Mel, Mel, I got a question for you. And I, we might want to cut this one out. I don't know. But I <laughs> no, have, no, no, this is going to be good. Leave no, it in. Right after you said he finally asked a good question. This is my yeah. – yeah. well, no. I, you know, I, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and I can totally relate to what you – man, politics has done so much damage, in my opinion, yeah. the last few years because we sure. combine different ideas. And if you're a conservative, then you hate yeah. the liberals. If you're a liberal, you hate the conservatives. Yeah. Nothing gets done. It's all – but I have – I've had people, in my personal opinion, people on the far left and people on the far right are crushing this country. But, hey, who cares? Uh, I agree with you. uh, So, but I've had people of a political orientation that have said to me, if we approve reparations, then shouldn't we approve reparations for the the, uh, Italians who were slaves, indentured servants without papers that came over, the Irish who were also indentured servants. And like, is, in your opinion, is reparations solely uh, for, I mean, Italians and and Irish people were treated as bad at some points in our history too. I'm just curious. And this, like I said, you might want to cut this out, Uh, but like, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. First, I think you need to go study those examples. And I want you to study the duration of time. Okay. Right? Because it's... Yeah. It's, Keep in mind, this was not my question. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. It was your question. You brought it up. <laughs> I was asked this question, and I didn't know yeah. how to respond, so help me. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, ill-informed people ask me questions all the time. And right. what I say to them is, go study what you just asked me about. <laughs> right. Go mm-hmm. find anyone in this country, anyone other than the Native Americans. And I got to tell you, I'm not Native American, so I'm not going to tell their story. But, man, whoo, wow. They really um, we, took one. We there. did some bad stuff to the Native right. Americans, and we're still not done like doing right. bad stuff to the Native Americans. But, right. but other than Native Americans, you find someone that was enslaved for ten generations. Mm, mm, mm. People who came here of their own free will, looking for a better life, are very different than people who were brought here and enslaved. Mm. I'm not saying uh, we didn't treat a lot. We treated, I mean, we cheated Japanese people like hell. I mean, we've done some bad things to people. Like the United States is not clean on any of this stuff. But you find me anyone in in our country's history that was enslaved that long with those kind of outcomes. Mm -hmm. And then even when slavery was over, and a few poor whites got caught in this too. But the redlining and the voter rights things, uh, and the taxation, and the, that carried on for another 200 years. Mel, talk a little bit about what you mean. I, I, some know, but some may not even know what you're talking about when you're talking redlining and housing, okay. voting yeah. rights. Yeah. Talk, yeah, go into that not, a little bit. Not everybody on our podcast is as smart as the three of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I invite them to Google it because <laughs> right? if you want to know, like Google, that's what I get. You know, Mel, I get that all the time as a pastor, you know, looking for Bible verses. I'm like, will you just Google it? I don't just know. Google the thing. Right. Just this is amazing. It. So, uh, but redlining was a practice that banks and insurance companies would put red lines around certain neighborhoods where they would not lend and not insure. If you will not lend and not insure, people can't have homes that they yeah. own. Neighborhoods yeah. deteriorate. Property values stay depressed. We're still living with the vestiges of redlining. It's funny. Uh, there's a bank in Ohio that just lost a federal lawsuit because they were redlining. This is 2023. And they were still doing it. They're still doing it. And they lost. 
it's not like they got accused and then well, they so, couldn't prove it. I was <laughs> like, how, how, how do you do that in 2023 and not well, expect my, my point fly? is my, well, I don't think they, they wouldn't have called it redlining. They would have uh, called it proper business decisions oh, around certain neighborhoods, but I got you. You, you know, so I, all I'm saying is, is that I, I think that when I hear about others who have been treated poorly, first, I don't know their story. They should tell their own. So mm. if the Irish have a story they need to tell, if the Italians have a story they need to tell, please tell them to write Dear White Friends from the Italian perspective. <laughs> but, but when, and I'm not diminishing. Oh, I know. I, that's you. But when we study their story, duration, magnitude, mm. and what happened after, because all of those people you named, are now white. Yep. Dude, that is the best answer that I've ever heard. And, and I'll tell you. The only answer you've ever heard. You usually get this question. <laughs> you know what? Well played. Uh, but no, I, I legitimately yeah. got that question uh, like a year ago. When I get it all the time. I get you it do? all. I get that, and I get that. Listen, I didn't grow up rich. I grew up poor, and I think, okay. Yeah, but, but you're on the first loop of the Monopoly game. Well, but poor in here, here's the thing. I, I'm not trying to compare poverty. I'm not trying to compare experiences. But name anything that when you add black to it got better. So if you're if you're disabled and black, not good. <laughs> it, it gets worse. If if you're uh, gay and black, oh, it's worse. Yeah, if yeah. you are um, poor and black. So I'm just saying that I'm not You're saying that everybody. Grew, that's why I don't like the word privilege. That was one of your questions, Zach, that we're not getting right. to. We're not getting to any of your what, questions. Yeah. What do you like? I, I like benefiting bystander. Hmm. I think that you, I'm not calling you privilege. I'm saying you are benefiting from a system that was created to hold me back and to lift you up. And um, and um, and because you're benefiting, you're bystanding. You're like. I'm not for this stuff, but I ain't against it either. You, know, you don't want to touch it. You know, you, know what? you brought up something so good right there. This is the most intriguing conversation we have had in a long time. But I have had, you know, that that very thing brought up so many times where I grew up a white guy, single parent. Yeah, uh, we lived on food stamps. Yeah. And now I own a construction company. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. And, and I think that analogy of the Monopoly game, that's going to stick in my head for a well, long, and, long and time. And it's not just that. I, listen, right. it, 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 just take the the any individual person I pick. Mm. I can find an exception. Anything. Sure. Anything. Sure. Right? sure. I mean, you know, five foot eight guys that can dunk backwards. I can find you one. Right. It's not you. Chris, but I can find you one. Uh, for sure. I think you nailed his height, by the way. Bro. Yeah, you did. Crushing it. He said it earlier. He said well, it earlier. He said he was five eight. For years, for years, I told everybody I was five nine and a half, and my buddy said, "No, you're not." And he measured me like two weeks ago at five eight. It's like been crushing my. You just gotta embrace that too, man. Just embrace. It. All right, all right. I'll try. So, I, 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 you know, when people tell me about their own personal story, I acknowledge it, and I think that's great. But I need people to get that there's a they're, they're, we're looking at a system, a broader kind of perspective of our nation's history. And when you layer race on anything, it changes the game. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that you didn't struggle, that you didn't make good decisions, that you didn't marry right, that you didn't you know work hard, that you don't earn everything you got. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that when if in this country, if if you're black, it's a step harder. Yeah. Because of a number of things that historical and current things around bias and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think that's that's extremely hard to argue with. I don't think any of us can argue with that. And I, yeah. Yeah. Mel, one of your 
letter uh, chapter titles. Is... Zach is trying to get control of this thing again. <laughs> I think this is. Hey, I told you, I'm the play-by-play, and Chris is the color commentator. <laughs> yeah. and... For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them is care enough to ask the question. Mm. Yeah. And, and I love that, uh, that that title, but also what's inside the chapter. So I would love to know, like, what what is the question that all of us need to be asking? Yeah, when you see a situation, ask yourself, why is what I'm seeing how it is? Mm. And ask yourself that question at least four levels down. Mm-hmm. So when you whatever answer. So let, let's just take uh, teen pregnancy. Or we could take um, gun violence in black community. Uh, yeah. People love to, to, to use that one. Let's take that one. So just ask yourself, why is that happening the way it's happening? Then when you come up with an answer, you like, man, that can't be only it because, it, you know, don't don't take the first answer. Say, well, well let's just say, well, you know, uh, people don't have a value for each other's lives. OK, well, why is that? Well, maybe because they don't have hopes and dreams because they don't like they don't know anybody in their life that that uh, has lived past 50 or mm-hmm. has a job or has gone to college or. Well, why is that? Well, maybe they've had multiple generations of poverty that uh, everybody they've ever known have has lived their life this way. And this has become the norm. Well, why is that? I mean, if you keep going back, you'll get to a root cause that has something to do with how we put our nation together. Mm, love it. And, and that doesn't excuse 2023 behavior. <laughs> so, so we go back up to, to, to gun violence in black neighborhoods. It doesn't excuse that. But it helps us have an understanding of, OK, at least I know how we got here. And now we can talk about the things we can do to get us from here. It's good. Yeah, I love it. And so I'd, I'd love for you, Mel, you mostly speak to business leaders and in the, yeah. that, that community. Yeah. Um, but obviously this podcast has a, a wide reach, but we're talking to a lot of people that are trying to follow Jesus yeah. <laughs> at, at his best. And yeah. we talk to a lot of church leaders too. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective um, what the church, what followers of Jesus, like, what what are you seeing kind of comparatively to what happens in the business world when it comes to fighting against racism? Also, just so you know, we're number 78 in Australia. So go ahead. <laughs> I came from. <laughs> Do you want to just speak to his our Australian friends? It's just very random. I don't know where that came from. I don't know where most, most of what he says comes from. So I want to be hopeful when it comes to my Christian brethren. Um, and I want to look at their heart. Um, but I'm troubled too often. First, let's be clear. Um, Sunday is a segregated time. Mm. Um, period. Right. And I grew up, uh, my grandfather was a Baptist minister. I grew up in a, uh, Baptist, and white people would come occasionally, but they were either politicians or lost. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I, we we didn't have people intentionally coming to our church who were white. You know what I mean? So, so occasionally somebody would marry a white person, but even they would stop coming after a while. It was just, it was just tough in the '70s, '80s, growing up. You know, um, so it's, seg- it's a segregated place. But I'm troubled because, uh, and I mentioned it earlier, that I I think our Christian leaders have had to make decisions that are um, binary and I, and I, and I, I reject the premise. So, so binary meaning I've got, you know, so we've got religious leaders who have a position on gay rights, 
uh, a woman's right to choose or or anti-abortion or whatever whatever you want to call it right um and and i get that Mm -hmm. but those politicians often line up with also i don't want to study diversity i want to i've got uh i've got problems with uh what do they call it um the um what they, they were saying everybody's getting indoctrinated in, in schools i forgot that oh, critical race theory critical race theory crt uh, we can come back to that in a second and so and so religious leaders are are unable or unwilling to unpack those two things those, those, those unpack the issues um and if i were calling on leaders of christian churches i would be saying why aren't we nuancing this topic more why aren't we doing our own study? Why am I being intellectually lazy around saying equality for all people when we know or should know that equal was way too late to be talking about just equality? We've got to be talking about equity. And so I don't know what Jesus they know, hmm. but the Jesus I know and that I was learned, I was taught to follow, learned to follow. Yeah, I wasn't taught much. I was learned. I wasn't was taught. Learned. I, was, I wasn't taught. I was learned. <laughs> I don't know how that looks, but it must be tough. Right. But 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 uh, we we talk about leading folks of all tongues, and 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 in my mind, I don't understand. I don't understand how how now some religious leaders I get, but but not religious leaders. Of folks called following Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't, I just, I get confused by those leaders who, who say silly things about why don't I hire um, more diverse? They say silly things like I take the best qualified. I, I don't, I don't understand the practical kind of conversations we could have. Um, but I think it's because they've gotten caught up in a, in a, a dogmatic kind of set of priorities and, and uh, so, it, it, what am I calling on? Why aren't why aren't uh, religious leaders in in the front of their churches saying today we're going to talk about our history with race? Today we're going to talk about the difference between equity and equality. Today we're going to talk about what it really means to be a follower of Christ and to be anti-racist. We're going to talk about voting rights in a way that gives us a broader understanding of why people flip out when you move move a, a, a voting uh, polling place, or when you check two of them down, or when you add an ID card, why are people's, why are these reasonable things so unreasonable to some people? We're gonna talk about that way in a, in a, in, through a, a lens of how would Jesus want us to look at this? Mm. And wow. I, I realize it demands a level of, of study that might take them outside of what they, what they know. And uh, I do think, Christian leaders get lazy um, and they preach the easy gospel. Yeah. But the gospel isn't relevant if it's easy in, in 2023. Mm-hmm. The gospel is only relevant when it's hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got to really face um, because G- Jesus's teachings haven't. And I, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go too deep, but they haven't changed. Yeah. But the world is changing and we must bring Jesus's teachings to the relevancy of what we got in front of us. I'm done now. I'm done. preaching. Now, I, I think it's awesome, Mel. I, I know when we were together and we were talking more about this, I could just see the sincerity and genuineness that talking to faith leaders isn't necessarily something that you do uh, often. 
but I want to put it in you that I think you have a unique voice, not just in the business community, but in the faith space coming from uniquely from the business community of just spurring us on and challenging us and say, if, and it's not perfect in the business community, but I actually feel like it's sometimes better in the business community than in the church community. And, and I could see that when we, when we got together, that you were just sincerely taken aback by if this Jesus is really the Jesus you call upon then how in the world are we where we are today when it comes in the church and, and just overall state of how we're fighting against this injustice in, well, the, in the church? And I will add to that, like the thing that I honestly appreciate um, is that every time I seem to be involved in these conversations, they always get hot quick. Yeah. And, and this is what I, I, from the moment I read the title of your book, I'm like, this guy gets it. Like, let's have a conversation. Let's not elevate our, our voices to the point where we're fighting political talking points. Like, like we're all human beings. Let's just have a yeah. conversation. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And, a, and, a, and a real, like, <laughs> tangible thing. We're talking about race. And I've heard uh, more laughs from my producer, Cam, um, in this conversation <laughs> right. than I have in a long time. I mean, usually 20 minutes in, he's sleeping <laughs> at this point. And now but, he's- I, but I think that hits at what I'm talking about, is you have a way of talking about this that doesn't, for me at least, flare up anything, even yeah. if I think differently right. or believe differently. I, yeah. I, I want to I investigate more after listening to you. I want to study more. I want yeah. to care enough to ask the question that, that yeah. you're talking about it. So. Well, uh, and, uh, it, and it really comes from my empathy, because when I said I don't understand why uh, uh, religious leaders are this way, I truly don't understand. And I'd love for someone to tell tell me, <laughs> you know, like, like t- talk less, because then I'll leave and I'll say, oh, I get it. I disagree, but I, I get why you're there. You're lazy. I understand now. <laughs> Can I answer this? Yeah. I think like, oh, OK, so I've been in ministry 20 years. I just planted a church. Um literally six weeks ago, it's uh, a 20, 30 something. It's probably 70% white, you know, 30% um, different races. Right. And I'll just be honest with you as a young kid growing up in Iowa, who, whose first experience with an African-American was at 18 years old. Like it's scary. Um, (laughs) It it is a scary topic that I don't feel educated on. Like after hearing you talk, I wish I could fly you to Lake Mary, Florida and have you do a four weeks series for me are you like, going to buy him some a5 wagyu or not yeah i mean I, Zach, i'll put uh before i leave here i'll steal zach's credit card i'll buy you all the a5 wagyu where, where the heck is that in florida? lake mary florida of orlando it's yeah it's right uh yeah it's up uh, north i mean it is the whitest town you'll ever see no uh, <laughs> no but it is um it, it's a suburb north of orlando a beautiful town but um yeah, I mean, here's, but here's the thing, Chris, and I yeah. get, I, man, I get it. Um, I get the, uh, it's scary because I don't know enough. Right. Um, it's scary because uh, I might say the wrong thing. It's scary because my parishioners may not get it. Mm. But, um, but again, I say, what are we called to do? Right. 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 I remember the first presentation I gave on this book, it was in front of an audience of about 150. Uh, as a matter of fact, Dave Thrasher uh, was in that in that room, uh, CEO from Omaha. Uh, become a, he's become a good friend, um, and and the, the almost all white. Uh, uh, I think there were two African Americans, other than me, and um, uh, almost no women. There might have been seven women, maybe ten, and the rest white men, right leaning politically. 
and there I am in front of the group talking about race. And, and, and so when I hear people say they're afraid, I'm like, no, that was fear. Like, like, and, and before I went on the stage, here's what I prayed. I prayed he would give me the voice so they could hear it. Mm-hmm. And I, the first thing I did on that stage, it says, guys, I'm pretty darn nervous right now. <laughs> yeah, you're honest. I'm pretty darn nervous right now. And then I left my body. I do not remember that speech. I had to watch it on video. And that that's no joke. That's, and wow. So my point is, and I'm not trying to hold myself out. I'm just simply saying we've got to do, this is not an easy topic. Yeah. And I realize, you, you know, white people can opt out of stuff because they don't need it for success. Hmm. They, they, you, you don't need to address this for success. But do is it your mission to be leading folks to a different way to express Jesus's love? I, feels like part it feels of like that should be signed yeah. up for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah no this is so good i hope we can do a part two one day we we ask every guest uh this question on okay if you could challenge our listeners because the mission of this podcast is that they would be greater followers uh every day of who jesus is so if if you could challenge our listeners to practically to do something this week to yeah. be a greater disciple follower of jesus what what would you say to them wow yeah so it would be to ask that, ask the question, why? why? Why is what I'm seeing in front of me the way it is? And ask it five times. And I think it will un- unveil something to you that will drive your empathy, which might drive your action, but at least it will drive your understanding. That's cool. Earlier you said to ask it four, now you went to five. So I like that you upped the challenge. <laughs> well, technically it's a five-step thing, but you know, I know people are lazy, so you know, but four or five times, just keep asking until you get the room. Yeah. All right. There you go. Listeners. If you take that challenge on this week, hashtag red letter disciple, we want to cheer you on, pray for you and uh, excited. Mel, you got a few more minutes to play one, one last fun game on the way out. Chris has got a Why game. not, man? I, 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 no one's coming to my door to tell me I got to be someplace else. So I'm with you. Oh, Fantastic. <laughs> Mel, we've learned a lot today um, oh, about uh, an important conversation that we need to have. Um, we've learned about why goose steak. We've learned uh, also about uh, my experiences, you know, as well. But here's the thing. We have a huge department of, of people here that craft games for uh, individual people. And so we would like to play a game where Zach claims that he's the Monopoly king. I know, Mel, that you've said earlier on this podcast that you would, I believe, quote, kill anybody. <laughs> in said game so we're going to challenge you the first one to three correct questions i have oh, questions okay. in front of me it's a 1v1 it's 1v1 but it's one at a time oh, it, wow. who wants to be a monopoly millionaire here we go contestant number one mel oh it's not it, it no it, you don't you, one at a time okay, one okay, at a time okay, we're not okay. going to do this ring in garbage okay, okay? yeah because clearly i would never mind mel how much money do you, does a player get when they pass go two hundred dollars that's right oh, one easy. one to nothing right easy. there one to no- we start off easy have you never seen millionaire you start off easy you I've get harder seen, i've seen this shtick before you start easy for him and then you give me the that's not true. question okay zach this is easy how much money does the banker distribute to each player in the start of the game fifteen hundred dollars boom one to one one to one here we go that's impressive. All right. All right. Um, I, we're gonna do we're gonna do a closest to the pin here. Closest to the pin, so you'll both guess. Okay. How much pre-printed money did the bank contain oh. in 1980 Monopoly set? How much money 
pre-printed money did each board game contain? Stop Googling stuff, Mel. <laughs> I wasn't going to Google. I was going to get my calculator. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I'll go first. Yeah, Can okay. I go first? Go I'm going to say 50 grand. 50 grand. Okay. This is Price is Right rules. So, Mel, you could literally say $1. You can't go over. That's my point. Oh, you cannot go over. No, I didn't know that one. Yeah, it's not 50 grand. I'd have to say a dollar. You're right, Mel. 15,140. <laughs> All right, Zach, we go to you. Why would you need 50 grand, Zach? I know it. How many people you playing with? <laughs> Freaking white guy. All right. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Uh, Mel, as we look at the game, the board, and many of the cards, we see a short, bald, mustachioed man who's longtime mascot of the game. He was once known as Rich Uncle Money. Penny bags, but he is now known by another name. What is it? Ooh. The mascot. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. Zach to steal? Parker Brothers, Milton Brown. I don't know what. Mr. Know. Monopoly. Well, Mr. Monopoly. Jeez. That's right. almost okay. too easy to be true. The railroads in the original Monopoly. Why did they game, change his name? Was there some kind of what was the problem? <laughs> Somebody was complaining about yeah, Somebody complained about that. There's a problem with that name somewhere. Penny bags or whatever it is. Um, the railroads in the Zach, the railroads yeah. in the original Monopoly game have been changed to what other mode of transportation in Monopoly here and now? The brand new version of Monopoly instead Air, of rail. I would say like airplanes. That's right. That's oh, right. Airplanes. Cool. Are All right. Really? Yeah, I, did, I didn't. Know I that. didn't know that either. Okay, there's uh, like a million variations of to the tie this game. game. To tie this game, Mel, how many doubles can you roll in a turn safely before going to jail? How many doubles can I? Yeah. Rate? Yeah. How many can you roll before, like safely? Yeah, safely. yeah. Safely before you go to jail. I right. Think there's only two in a row. Right? That's right. Oh, yeah. really? That's right. Okay. Zender Zender family rules. We we don't like that rule. So we just hey, you keep rolling doubles. You keep going, baby. Well, I feel like every family's got their own rules. We put five absolutely five hundred in free parking. Anyway, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see here. I think he just got his third question. Was right, that though. the third one? Did you win? I okay. Think I won. Yeah, he hey, won. won. There we go. I should be winning. I'm the guest. Yeah, yeah, he know, won. You clearly won. I, okay. I'm kind of sad. I, I think I could name every property. Oh, here we go. All right, final question, Zach. You've already won, Mel. What are all the properties? <laughs> what town are all the properties based off of? What town? There's a real town that all the properties are based off of. No way. Because there's like Indiana, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Boardwalk. All these. New York City. No. Do you know? I do not. Atlantic City, New Jersey. Really? Yep. That makes the, sense to me. That's the true answer. So right there's there. like an Illinois Avenue, a Pennsylvania yep. Avenue, and yep. that's they in, basically in took City. it all from Atlantic City. Wow. Yeah. We learned stuff. There's in this a thriving place. metropolis there, Atlantic. Gosh. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there we go. You never know what you're going to learn on Red Letter Disciple. I got to tell you what. I just grew a bit. I got to go get a new uh, uh, Monopoly set because apparently there's no more railroads. Yeah. Airport. I don't get it. He said airplanes. It was actually airports. Airports. There you go. We'll have to squash that. So it's three to one. You dominated. <laughs> <laughs> Mel, thanks, man, for being a part of Red Letter Disciple. If people want to connect with you, uh, connect with the book. I know you got a free PDF on the website as well that kind of yeah. helps with conversation starters that yeah. that I've looked at and you spend a lot of time making. So wh where can people connect with you? 
Yeah. So uh, dearwhitefriend.com, dearwhitefriend.com is the best place. Like you say, there's a PDF out there, kind of a discussion guide people can use. The book's available everywhere. It, it shockingly continues to do well. Um, and I got to tell you guys, thank you for having me. Thank you for the courage of addressing this topic at any time you want me back, including wherever little city in central Florida. That would be amazing. You should come down in the winter. You would love it. Absolutely. Well, I would never come down in the <laughs> Anytime, but never in the summer. <laughs> no, but seriously, are you available for like these businesses like you've done for, you know, you said you. How do you think I met Zach? Okay. Okay. So then they can find that on a website or something. No, when they go there, they can contact us right through uh, Dear White Friend, and okay. somebody catches that, and they cool. they take out the crazies and the hate mail. I get a lot of hate mail, by the way. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. And it, it upsets the team, but it, uh, I like it. Like send that to me. I love yeah, your. Yeah. It proves you're doing yeah. something at work. Yeah, absolutely. It's, somebody got annoyed. I love if, it. If everybody was agreeing with you, you were not doing something right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, and I, I'd, I'd love to do this again. Like you say, you want to do a part two sometime? Yeah. Um, and tell me about the sermons that you guys have, have. I don't know if you guys even call them sermons. The talks that you guys have done. Yeah. 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 I challenge you. To let me know about those. That'd be great. Awesome, awesome, bro. All right, Mel. Appreciate you, man. Uh, thank thank you. you for being a friend and for helping out a lot of people. Appreciate yeah, you. Definitely. Good to have you guys. See you. Cool. Well, I, I hope that today's episode truly did for you what it has done for me. It's really helped me rethink my whole position when it comes to fighting against racism. What's my role in all of this? And I want to take acts of intentionality. Hey, if you want to connect with Mel and his resource, Dear White Friend, check out our show notes at redletterpodcast.com. We'll put all the links in there and you can go ahead and check that out and have whatever you need there. So with all of that, I want to thank our sponsor, Red Letter Living. We create resources and we would love to partner with your church with a 40-day challenge. You can find out more at redletterchallenge.com slash join. Next week is a really fun conversation with Joshua Brown. Hear his incredible story, a high school druggie dropout that met Jesus, entered ministry, had 20 years in ministry, and then actually left ministry. And he really feels like he's pursuing his calling now. And he is known in the in, in the business world as the pressure washing pastor. <laughs> it's a really cool title. But Joshua is really going to change the fr- challenge, the framework of thinking about j- how Jesus and businesses can intersect. And I think you're going to love it. So don't miss it. And here's how you don't miss it. First, we'd love for you to rate and review our podcast. Whatever platform you're on, we'd love five stars. If it's helpful, if it's challenging, if it's if it's something that 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 you use in your life, would you please do us that favor? That'll help us to do more and more of these episodes. But then here's the other thing. Subscribe and follow. That way, when you do that, the episode will automatically pop up in your feed next week. So with all that said, go out and be a great disciple of Jesus this week. And we'll see you next week for the Red Letter Disciple. A Huda Media Production.